A few weeks ago, I had a dentist appointment, and they asked that question that they're guaranteed to ask almost absolutely every time you go. Do you floss? Now, that question, I'm pretty sure they know the answer already just by looking at your teeth, whether or not you floss. And, and so my theory is they ask you that question to shame you, um, to, to make you squirm in their seat where you can't run away. But, but they'll ask this question. Now, you might be tempted to lie and say, yeah, of course I floss, but your bleeding gums aren't going to lie. Um, but if they were to rephrase the question and go, how often do you floss? That's, that's where a more honest answer might actually come out. Because we, we might have to say, well, last night a reminder popped up in my phone that I had the dentist appointment this morning, so I flossed last night. I flossed again this morning, but the time before that was, was about six months ago, and come to think of it, you were the one who actually did it that time, and so I'm not doing that well, but I'm on a two-day streak. Now, my point in saying this is how we phrase a question um, can alter the answer we get. Just, just changing the question a little can give us a more accurate answer. Now, I, I said this first service, and I'll say it again. We have some dental hygienists within our congregation. They might be worried about me. Um, don't worry. I, I, I floss daily. My wife mocks me for it. But I, I dubbed myself the, the Pharisee of flossing earlier, and I'm going to hold that title. But uh, Scripture, Scripture makes it pretty clear that we as disciples are to pray for others. We're to pray for one another. So I could ask each disciple here, do you pray for other people? And I think most of us would say, yes, I do pray for, for others. And we could go, awesome, that's, that's great. You're doing what a disciple is supposed to do. But I think that's one of those cases where we actually have to ask some further questions to get a more accurate picture of what is taking place. And so maybe, maybe we should actually ask, when do you pray for others? And what do you pray for others? Because I, I don't doubt that most people here are praying for other people. But here's the thing, our, our prayers for other people are, are probably relegated to, to being reactive prayers and not necessarily proactive prayers. And so when, when I say reactive prayers, is what I mean is this, when a trial, when trouble when tragedy strikes in somebody's life, that's, that's when you start to pray for them. And, and so um, somebody loses their job, you, you pray that God would give them a job. Somebody is looking for a home, you pray that God would provide them with a home for, for a vehicle that they need to get to and from work, maybe safety for traveling. You, you know of a relationship that's in crisis, you pray that that relationship would be healed. Um, you pray for healing for a sickness. You pray for recovery for an injury or comfort for a loss. If there's a natural disaster, we pray for the people affected by it. If there's an act of terrorism, we, we pray for those affected by that as well. And I, I'm not saying it's, it's not good to pray for these things. They are good things to pray for, and, and we're told to pray for them. We should be praying. But my question is this. Why do we often relegate our prayers for others almost exclusively to these times where there's been a trial, tragedy, or some sort of trouble? Like, why do we wait for things to go wrong before we start to pray for others? And so I just want to leave you with that question, but we're going to start looking at some of the prayers of, of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 to start. And verse 3, Paul says this, 
I thank my God every time I remember you, always praying with joy for all of you. I thank God for the help you gave me while I preached the good news, help you gave from the first day you believed until now. God began doing a good work in you, and I am sure he will continue it until it is finished when Jesus Christ comes again. And I know that I am right to think like this about all of you because I have you in my heart. All of you share in God's grace with me while I am in prison and while I am defending and proving the truth of the good news. God knows that I want to see you very much because I love all of you with the love of Christ Jesus. And so the Philippians must be kind of a special people because Paul says the mere thought of you triggers joy and thankfulness within me and, and it leads me to, to pray for you. Now I'm, I'm sure like there's people in your life when you think of them, um, it might not trigger joy or thanksgiving. It might, it might trigger something else and some other prayers for that person. But, but Paul is saying, I, I think of you, the Philippian church, and the good that God is doing in you, the good that God is doing through you, and it leads me to pray for you. And so if we study the Philippian church, you'd see that it's a pretty good church. There's not really many issues going on. Everything seems to be going good. But, but Paul, Paul, he still prays for them even though things are going well. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says we're to pray for all God's people at all times. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul will say we're, we're to offer prayers for people in all positions. And so for Paul, he's saying in any season, in any situation, that is an appropriate time to pray for others. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I pray for other people, it's easy to know what to pray for them when things aren't going well in their life. And so if they're sick, I'm going to pray for healing. If they're lonely, I'm going to pray for companionship. If they're, if they're hungry, I'll pray that God provides them with food. If they, if they have a specific felt need, I, I know what to pray for that person. But sometimes we struggle to know what to pray for a person when, when things are going well in their life. When things are going great, sometimes we're, we're like, what, what do I pray for them. Well, Paul gives us an answer in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, this is my prayer for you, the Philippian church, that your love will grow more and more, that you will have knowledge and understanding with your love, that you will see the difference between good and bad and will choose the good, that you will be pure and without wrong for the coming of Christ, that you will do many good things with the help of Christ to bring glory and praise to God. And so Paul is praying that their love for God, their love for other people would be an educated love, that they would be sincere in their walk as Christ's disciples. Paul wants to see their love um, for God and for others growing more and more over time, and that their love, it would be accompanied with knowledge and discernment. And so what that means is Paul doesn't just want people's love for God and, and love for other people to follow what they, they feel is right. Paul wants their love towards God and towards other people to follow what they know is true and good and right. And so he wants their love to be shown in actions that bring glory to God and good to other people. And so we can, we can summarize this really easily. Paul is praying for the Philippian church that they would grow and mature as disciples of Jesus that God would change their head, their heart, their hands as, as they follow Christ, as they are changed by Christ, as they commit to the mission of Christ. 
And throughout your, Paul's letters, if you were to study them, you see he's constantly praying that, that people would grow and mature as disciples. And so just a quick list of things Paul prays for. Paul, Paul thanks God for each one of his people. Paul prays for, for wisdom and knowledge for them, for righteousness and purity, that they would be full of hope, that they would live in peace and unity, that they would be strengthened with spiritual power, that they would learn to abide in Christ, that they would grow in their love for others, that they would overflow with praise and thanks to God. And Paul prays for opportunities, that he, he would get opportunities to minister to the different um, Christians within the churches. And, and so Paul's prayers, they're, they're not relegated for when things are going bad or, or stuff's hitting that proverbial fan. Paul, Paul's praying proactive prayers for these Christians at all times. And, and we can summarize it really simply. Paul is praying that their hearts and their minds would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so I just want to ask you this. Think about your prayers for other people. Are, are, are they more proactive or reactive? How, how do they stack up to what Paul prays for other people? And just, just consider that. And so I'm not going to really spend a lot of time talking about the things we should pray for other people, but more so about why we should pray for others. And the reason is this. It's not really much use to talk about what we should pray for other people if we're not convinced that we really need to pray for other people or if we don't see a need for prayer. And again, like, let's, let's be real. A lot of us question whether prayer really works. We, we go, what's, what's the point in prayer? A lot of us wonder why we should pray, let alone pray for others. And so we read Paul's letters and we go, why is Paul so big on prayer? You might go, why, why do you and Greg and other people get up and talk about the importance of prayer all the time? We wonder, why should I pray if, if God already knows the situation? We wonder, does, does my prayer actually affect anything? And here's the thing. We ask these questions because we're not necessarily convinced that, that prayer actually accomplishes anything. We're not convinced that prayer works. And I, I can understand it. Because sometimes you've prayed for something and the opposite happens. Sometimes you, you've meant to pray for something, you forget to pray for that thing, but it still happens. Sometimes you've prayed for something, it happens, but you're just going, maybe that's just coincidence. Maybe it would have happened anyways. Now, please understand, my, my goal, like, I'm not up here going, Christian, you struggle with prayer? Shame on you. Try harder. Do better. That, that's not what I'm up here to do. Because like, even if I was to say, here are some things you should do to get better at prayer, that's trying to fix a heart issue with a performance-based issue or solution. It's, it's like this. Imagine you tell me you've got internal bleeding going on. I'd be the last person you want to come to and tell me about that because I'm absolutely useless to help you in that situation. I'll pray for you. But like, uh, say you tell me that. I'm like, okay, I've got some gauze. And I got some tape, let me take care of that. And I just kind of wrap that around the outside of you. I haven't dealt with the issue. I, I've just covered it up. You can't really see it, but that issue is still there on the inside. And so prayerlessness, it's, it's ultimately a heart issue. And so the, the answer to prayerlessness, it's not simply to try harder. J.D. Greer, he says, prayer 
is in essence a natural result of desperation and faith. And so we don't pray because we're told to pray. We pray because we're aware of the reality that it is God who ultimately holds the power. We pray when we believe there's actually power in prayer. And so the root of most of our prayer problems are, is spiritual. We, we worship, we trust the wrong things. And so if we don't think prayer works, it means we believe one of two things. We believe that God does not care about us and he's kind of apathetic towards us and, and the situations that we're in in our lives. Or we believe that God, God loves me, God cares for me, but, but God ultimately is not, the, is not sovereign, that God is not in control, that there are things that play in, in his creation that are more powerful than him, and so some situations are out of the control of God. And so please understand, the answer to our prayer problem is not trying harder. It, it's a change of heart by God. And I, I think this is one of the reasons Paul um, he's, he's always praying that hearts and minds would be conformed to the image of Christ. And if you were to sit down and look at where Paul puts his prayers for Christians in each of his letters, you're going to see they, they tend to be pretty close to the beginning of his letter. And then later on in the letter, he's saying, this is what Christ-like living looks like. This is how you do it. But what Paul is doing is he's saying, like, I, I've prayed that God would give you hearts and minds to be able to live a Christ-like life. Because Paul, he knows that no Christian is, is a self-made man or, or person. That, that we are changed, we are transformed by the work of God in us. We need to cooperate with that, but it's ultimately God who does that work. And so please understand, prayer is a heart issue. We pray when we believe there is power in prayer. But I just want to spend a little bit of time. Why should we pray for others? And I've got four reasons. The first one is we pray for others because Jesus prayed for others. And a general rule of thumb when you're reading scripture, not an absolute, but a general rule of thumb, is that if Jesus does something, you should probably try to do it too. Now there's these like exceptions. Like I'm not saying make a cord, a whip of cords and go into a temple and start driving people out, flipping tables. You probably shouldn't do that. It's not going to go well. Don't, don't live your life in an attempt to end up on a cross. I'm not, I'm not saying you should do that. But if you see Jesus doing certain behavior, certain patterns, it's good to kind of follow his example. Now, as somebody who loved people well, Jesus prayed for others. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. And, and in verse 20, you can go there and look at some point. He prays for you specifically as well. But he prays for our faith. He prays against temptation in our lives. He prays for unity in his church. He prays that his disciples would be sanctified, that they, they'd grow more mature in their walk as disciples. And so if as disciples we're going to love others like Jesus did, we, we need to pray for others like Jesus did. And this, this is for Christians in particular. But if you see in Scripture that Jesus prayed, and we see that Jesus prayed all the time in Scripture, but yet you go, it's not really necessary for me to pray, it says one of two things. The first thing it might say is that you believe Jesus needed God's help more than you do. That, that's pride. You're saying that, that you're... Um, more skilled 
you're wiser, you're more resourceful um, than Jesus was when it comes to living a godly life. And that, that's why Jesus had to pray so much. Or the other thing it says is that you don't actually believe Jesus' prayers accomplished anything. You don't believe that Jesus' prayers were effective. And that's, that's doubt. That's lack of faith. And so you'd look at all those times Jesus gets off by himself in Scripture to pray and be alone with God and go, nothing really happened as a result of that. And so we, we got to examine why we struggle with prayer because it's, it's a heart issue. And if Jesus felt it necessary to pray for others, we as disciples should follow his example. The second reason we pray for others is because Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for others. Now, Ellen DeGeneres had Bill Gates on her show a few months ago, I guess, to have him play a game, and it was called the grocery store game. Now, please understand, a lot of people go, ah, pastors, you only work an hour each week or two hours in our case because we have two services. Um, please understand, I don't spend my day at home watching Ellen DeGeneres. This, uh, this actually just came across my, my Facebook feed, but it was, it was kind of interesting. So Ellen took regular grocery store items, and she put them up, and she asked, how much do you think these cost, Bill? And so she puts up a package of rice aroni, just basic rice. And he's like, five bucks. And it was only worth a dollar. She puts up a package of, of Tide Pods, like this big thing. And he says, $4. It costs $20. It's obviously, he's not doing his own laundry. Um, and then this package of pizza rolls, just run-of-the-mill pizza, not very good. But uh, he guesses $22. It was only $9, and with the audience's help, he, he kind of got closer and closer so that they could win the prize. And, like, I'm not up here picking on Bill Gates going like, oh, what a moron, because it's obvious this guy is smarter than I am. But my point is this. Sometimes with affluence, with, with power, we kind of get removed from the reality of some situations, and we don't necessarily understand things fully. Um, this, is, this is a complaint that's often made against politicians, that because of affluence, power, their education, just kind of years in office and the life that that brings, that when it comes time to make decisions regarding poverty or, or education or anything like that, that they don't necessarily make the best decision because they're kind of isolated or removed from it. Now keep this in mind as we read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And these are some of my favorite verses uh, in the New Testament. But it says, since we have a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God, who has gone into heaven, let us hold on to the faith we have. For our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses. When he lived on earth, he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. Then we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. And so what that is saying is that Jesus understands the human condition. Jesus put on flesh, and he lived amongst us as a human. He was fully human, fully God. He has perfect perspective. Jesus knows hunger, exhaustion, betrayal, pain, sorrow, loss, temptation, frustration, uncertainty, disappointment, we can keep going. He gets it. 
And because of this, he knows how to answer our prayers. He is sympathetic towards us. And so we, we don't have a God who is, is detached from human experience. We have a God who gets it. And this is the God who is answering our prayers. Now, God knows and understands what each one of us is going through. But the truth is, we don't understand and always know what is go- each one of us is going through. And so the third reason we pray for others is because it increases our love for one another. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but, but Jesus links our love for others to prayer. He's saying uh, praying for others is an act of love. And so when you pray for somebody, it's not just impacting them. It's, it's actually having an impact on you as well. Your, your heart changes towards the person as you pray for them. And so you've got people in your life that you have certain thoughts and feelings towards. Maybe anger, frustration, resentment, betrayal, disappointment. And while you feel those things and might be valid, um, you don't know what that person is going through or has gone through. We don't know the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual struggles, hurts, fears, worries, and battles they're facing. And so one of the reasons we're called to pray for one another is because when we pray for somebody, our our heart actually changes towards them. And you might actually be helping them face challenges and struggles that you just don't know that they're going through. And I just want to issue a challenge to you. Think of the person in your life that you find the hardest to love. Maybe it's your neighbor. Uh, maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, it's your boss. Maybe it's, it's your father-in-law. Maybe they're one in the same and you just have to deal with that. I, I said first service, I do it because I love them. But, but I want to challenge you, pray for their well-being. Pray for spiritual growth. Pray for endurance in whatever challenges that they may be facing. And as you pray for them, your love towards them will grow. It's, it's almost impossible for your heart to stay cold towards a person when you are praying for them. The fourth reason we pray for others is because it brings glory to God. When we pray for other people, we're reflecting the caring nature of God. And in prayer, we recognize and express God's place as, as the sovereign creator who is in control and our place as those who trust him. When we pray, we live out this reality that God is in control and we trust that we, we demonstrate that we trust that we believe he knows what is best. And so my point is this, praying for others or prayer in general, it's not this item that you have to like check off on a religious to-do list. Prayer is how you you, you access the power of God. Prayer is how you participate in his mission that, that is seeking to change the lives of people. And scripture links our prayers for others to their success in life, in ministry, and their relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it says, Even when God is foolish, he is wiser than everyone else. And even when God is weak, he is stronger than everyone else. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. With all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let him lead you, and he will clear the road for you. 
And so we read verses like this and go, why should I pray if God is wiser than I am and I'm, I'm told just to trust him? If God is in control and God knows what is best, why, why waste my time praying? It's actually for those very reasons that we should pray. Because praying for others is something God commands us to do. And as the creator and the one in control, God has, has decided that our prayers are going to affect change. And so maybe we need to spend less time questioning God and how he uses prayer and actually more time trusting him, more time praying and believing that he's using them. And Christ calls us to a childlike faith. I don't know about you, but like when you ask your parents or if your kids ask you for something, they don't go, I'm asking you this for this from you, but uh, first I need to know how you're going to do it. No, they, they make the request and they trust that you're able to do it. And so prayer is a heart issue. We pray, even though we don't necessarily see how God is going to use it, we trust that he's using it for good. And so that is, that's actually an expression of love towards God. What I want to do is invite uh, Debbie Cunningham up here, and she's going to share a little bit um, with us about one of her recent experiences. Thanks, Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to share a story today with you. Um, but before I do, I would just like to say I have been a Christian for almost three years now and here at HCC. And in that time, I've learned the power of prayer, somewhat about the power of prayer. I'm no expert. Um, the power and the purpose of prayer. And I've also been fortunate enough to be the recipient in this last year of a church, a whole church praying for myself and for my family. And I've also experienced when I've been praying some of my prayers to be met. But this story, which I like to refer to as um, a God story, is uh, pretty awesome. About, um, about a month ago, I went to uh, a ladies' retreat, having no idea what to expect at a ladies' retreat. But anyway, off I went. And um, this story is actually somebody else's story. I'm just a part of this story. So before I go into it, I'll just tell you that the lady's name is Deidre, okay? I met Deidre over 20 years ago. She came to my home when my husband and I decided to buy an insurance policy. She was the nurse who came and took my blood, et cetera, et cetera. We had a small conversation. Off she went. I did learn that she lived in my neighborhood. Um, her husband was a pastor. So for the next 20 years, I would just pass Deidre, say hello. I would see her husband, hello. That was it. Now I go to this ladies' retreat. I walk into a room that's as, at least as big as this, and there's maybe more than these many people there. And I see somebody across the room that I know, and it's Deidre. So we both sort of waved at each other, but didn't have a chance immediately to speak to each other. So... She got a chance to come over to me, and she came over to me, and she went, what are you doing here? And she said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I said, well, that's because I wasn't. I said, I just became a Christian uh, two and a half years ago. The look on her face, 
of puzzlement, and she just looked at me and she said, do you know that I prayed for you? And I said, what? And she said, God put it on my heart to pray for you. And I said, really? I said, you never know what he's up to, okay? So we, we talked for, you know, a couple of minutes, small talk, but it, it just was an environment where a lot of things were going on, a lot of people, so we parted ways. And then that evening, they were having a little um, talent show or whatever, so we were all getting ready to sit down. And she came up behind me, and she tapped me on the shoulder. And when I turned around and looked at her, she literally had her head in her hands, and she's going like this, and she says, listen, she said, I just can't get over this. And I said, what? And she said, you have to tell me your story. She said, you have to tell me how you became a Christian. So I thought, well, I'll do this. I'll try to condense the story a little bit. So I told her about what happened. And I'm telling you, she is just like, she's going like this. She said, I just can't believe this. She said, when I go home tonight, she said, I'm waking my husband up, and I'm telling him this story because he is not going to believe this. So anyway, again, now it's into the talent show, so I haven't really had that much of a chance to think about it. But um, when I went to bed that night, we stayed in a big bunkhouse, and I got the top bunk. And let me tell you, what a challenge that was, getting up to the top bunk. I had to say a prayer for that one. It's been 50 years since I had to get up on the top of a bunk. It was a challenge. So I got up in my bunk, and I was laying there talking to God, saying, wow, like the impact of that, that God would take the time for her and I to cross paths over 20 years later to show her she, she literally just prayed for somebody. He put it on her heart to pray for somebody she hardly knew. If that was me, I'd have probably gone, what? Not to say I wouldn't have prayed. I would have just questioned it first, okay? So... The significance of that and Pastor Greg, Pastor James, the Bible, they'll all teach you that Jesus loves you, but really, that just speaks volumes. That he would do this for her. There's a lesson to be learned for me, too. But it was just, a, a, it's just an awesome story, and, um, and you never know when you're praying for somebody. Um, you know, how that prayer is ever going to come out. Most times we never, ever know how that's going to come out. But anyway, that's my awesome story about prayer, and thank you for listening. Thank you, Bobby. My, my favorite part is that she's like, I prayed and then I don't believe it's going to happen, but often we do that. But... I love, the, it was a gift for Deidre to be able to see how God used that, that prayer and, and answered it 20 years later. I think one of the joys of heaven is going to be that I think God's going to show us how he used our prayers there. We might not understand right now, but I think we will see how God has used them. And so we never know how God is using them, but we can trust that he's using them for good. And we pray when we believe there's power in prayer. So I want to ask you two questions. When are you praying for others? My hope is that it would be at all times. Yes, pray those, those reactive prayers when, when things aren't going well, when trial, trouble, tragedy strikes, but be praying proactive prayers for people. Be praying for their good. And what are you praying for them? 
And my, my hope is that you would be praying these prayers of Paul, these, these prayers that their hearts and minds would be conformed to the image of Christ.